Wow, those were amazing announcements and messages. Thank you, creative team, for the great job that you're doing putting all this stuff together. I'm really happy to be preaching today. It's been a number of weeks since I've had the opportunity to address us as a community. Uh, there, We had a great time with Steve giving a message, Ken giving a message, and then last week with uh, the four of us sharing. But there's a number of things that I've been really wanting for it to speak into, especially with the changes that we're seeing. I know you're aware that churches have been allowed to open at 30% capacity if they have a building. We also don't have a building, which has created a problem for us being able to open. Uh, the space that we have over on Faulkner Drive is just way too small for us to be able to try to do a Sunday gathering there. And really, until the schools open up to us again, we are in a position right now where we still have to continue to meet in our homes. But what's really important is that for us as a community, it's not Sunday meetings that make a community, it's our connections with one another. And I want to talk to us today about that. I want to talk to us about covenant relationships, and I want to talk to us about what it looks like when the church is actually living in those covenant relationships. So it's sort of a part one and a part two today. So let's start with part one, covenant relationships. And the best example that I can find in scripture of covenant relationships are Jonathan and David. So we're going to look at that from 1st and 2nd Samuel right now. So we're going to start in 1 Samuel 18 verse 1 and it's here. It says that after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. And then down in verse 3 and 4, it says, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So the amazing thing about covenant, often the words that we see in Hebrew that for covenant, they can also be translated as cutting. Because as a covenant was made in the Old Testament, it often involved the cutting of an animal and both people walking through the animal that's been slain as a, as a symbol of the, the covenant. And it was also symbolic that if I broke this covenant, then you could kill me for breaking the covenant. So there was a seriousness when someone made a covenant. It wasn't something lighthearted. It wasn't something that was just spoken like, oh, I'm making a covenant with you. There was literally a, an attitude that I'm making this covenant and we are in this and our breaking of this covenant, it would result in death. And so Jonathan and David took this covenant that they were making with each other quite seriously. Now, if you know the story of Jonathan and David, David was anointed king. And while Jonathan was the son of Saul, he should have rightfully become the king. But God removed the kingdom from Saul because Saul was disobedient to God. And he anointed David to be the king. So even though David was anointed to be the king, he wasn't yet living as the king. But Saul knew that he was to be the king and he wanted to kill David. We, he, was, he became angry with David. God, it even says that God allowed evil spirits to affect Saul so that, you know, and he would become enraged at David. So it became a time in their relationship where David's having to just run away from Saul. And he comes to Jonathan, and, and this is recorded in 1 Samuel 20. And he comes to him saying, like, what have I done? Why is it that you are wanting to kill me? Why is it that you're allowing, your, you know, why aren't you doing something to protect me? And uh, it says, as for you, show kindness to your servant, servant, for you've brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I'm guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? And this is so significant because David's saying to Jonathan, hey, look, 
if, if I've broken this covenant, if I've done something that's violated the covenant that we've made, then it's fine. You kill me. Don't hand me over to your father to kill me. You do it yourself. But Jonathan responds to David going, I have no idea that my, I don't, I don't think my father wants to kill you. I have no idea about this. I don't know what you're talking about. And David makes him promise like, look, you need to go to your father and find out the truth about this. But before Jonathan goes to find out from his father, Saul, like, you know, is he really trying to kill David? Jonathan says to David, he says, it says here in 1 Samuel 20, verse 12, then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time and the day after tomorrow, if he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, then may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And it says here in verse 16, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Here's the incredible thing. We know how the story goes. The truth was Saul did want to kill David. Jonathan warned David and sent David away. And for many years, Saul with, David, with, with Jonathan at his side pursued David. Now, Jonathan had a loyalty to his dad, so he had to go with him where he went. But, you know, David had a number of opportunities to kill Saul when Saul was pursuing him. And one particular one in a cave where he was right there and he could have killed him. His men wanted him to kill him. But David's like, no, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. And so not only did David you know, honor his covenant with Jonathan, but he honored what God had done in Saul's life, that God had anointed Saul to be king. And until the time that God removed Saul from his kingdom as the king, David would not step up and take the place of king, even though he'd been anointed to be king. Now, again, as the story continues on, eventually Saul and Jonathan are both killed in battle, not by David, but by another group. And after this, David goes in and he comes into Israel and he takes his rightful place as the king. But even after he does this, he still honors the covenant that he made with Jonathan in Jonathan's house. He asks in 2 Samuel 9, saying, saying, is there any descendants of Jonathan left? Are there any sons? And he's told, yes, he, Jonathan has a son. And so David calls for that son. He bring, has that son brought in his presence. Now, that son was lame. It says that yeah, when Saul and Jonathan were killed, that the nurse of that child, you know, got scared, thought that David was going to come and kill that child. So she fled. And when she was fleeing, she dropped the baby. And so the baby was actually lame in both feet, injured in this fall. David took this, this son of Jonathan. He gave him all the inheritance that belonged to Saul and Jonathan. And he gave him a seat at his table. So he treated Jonathan's son like his own son because he had a covenant with Jonathan. David truly understood the reality of covenant. He understood what it meant to make a covenant. He honored it between God, with the covenants God had made in anointing Saul king and anointing David king. And he honored it in the covenants that he made before the Lord with Jonathan. It's an incredible example. And it's something we've got to pay attention to because scripture talks about the fact that John, David was someone that was after God's heart. 
God is a covenant-making God. We're not going to look at all the different covenants, but we see from the beginning, so in Genesis, God making covenants with people. He starts off in making a covenant with Noah, then a covenant with Abraham, then a covenant with Moses. Uh, then he, God himself makes a covenant with David, which he does at the end of his life when David's like, God, I want to build you a house. And God says, you're not going to build me a house, but I'm going to actually build you a house. I'm going to build you a dynasty and that you, you will, you know, your descendants will sit on the throne and through your descendants, I'm going to bring a redeemer that will be the everlasting king of Israel. It was a prophecy of Jesus and Jesus is a descendant de uh, through the line of David. It's absolutely amazing. And so we've, we've got to pay attention to this because covenants are so important to God. The covenant we live in is the one that's made through the blood of Jesus. Jesus was the one slain for the covenant that we live in. It's a very one-sided covenant in that God did what we couldn't do. He became the sacrifice himself for us so that we could be put right with God. Jesus' death and resurrection is a covenant that God has made with us. And it's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of love. It's a covenant where but we haven't earned it, nor have we deserved it. But what Jesus has done for us has restored our relationship with God. But we've got to go, hey, covenants are an important thing. And we're meant to be a covenantal people. And there's been such a change and transformation in how church is done. And I want to talk about that now in part two. So we've talked about what covenant relationship looks like, and we've looked at some of the covenants that God's made with us. There's one other example of a covenant that's important for us to look at, and that's marriage. And marriage is till death do us part, just like covenants were in the Old Testament. And it's something that we have lost in our culture, this understanding that marriage is meant to be a commitment till death. That it's not something that we like, well, I'm going to try this out, I'm going to get married, but if it doesn't work out, then that's fine, then I'll get divorced and I'll go find somebody else. It's that, no, I'm making a decision and a commitment to walk with this person through good times and bad times to, to continue on my journey with this person regardless of what's going on and regardless of whether we're liking each other that day or not liking each other. And that we're making a commitment to love the other person as we love ourselves. It's so important, you know, that we understand what marriage is. Because we're never going to have covenantal relationships with other people if we don't even understand the covenant of marriage. And we won't understand the covenant of marriage if we don't understand the importance of covenants in Scripture. And so let's look at what a real covenant community looks like because we see an amazing example of that in the book of Acts. What I'm going to do is get us to turn to Acts 2 and we're going to read from verse 40 to 47. And so starting in Acts 2 verse 40, what's happened here is that the uh, Holy Spirit has just fallen on Pentecost on the, the uh, apostles and those in the upper room. They've come out of the upper room talking of, you know, in different tongues and in different languages. People are amazed because they're hearing them speak in their own language and they're testifying to who Jesus is. And then Peter stands up and he starts addressing the crowd, just telling them who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, that what he, what, you know, the, the reality of what the gospel actually is and calling people to a place of repentance. And that's where we pick up in Acts 2 verse 40. It says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It's pretty incredible. 3,000 people that day gave their life to Christ. It says about those people that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So not only were 3,000 saved on that first day, but as the community continued to move forward, they continued to grow. God just kept adding to the number of people. More and more were getting saved. So let's break this down and look at what that community was all about. So the first thing, it, it says that these people decided to live a different way. They saved themselves from the evil of today's people. They recognized that it was a call to repentance, a call to living a different way, that following Jesus meant they left the ways of the world and they established themselves in a different way, often quite countercultural to the world that they were living in at that moment in time. And this is so essential for us as Christians because if we're going to live in covenant community with one another, if we're going to live in the way the church is meant to be, we've got to live in a different way than the rest of the world does. Now, the principles of the Western world that we live in are individualism. It's all about ourselves. It's not about community. It's about, it's about me first. You know, we live as individuals. We approach church this way. And you know, so our, for our churches to be covenantal communities of covenantal relationships, we need to stop looking at them as a product that we're consuming. Church isn't something we go to on a Sunday. It's a community of people that we love and that we belong to. And it should be a very serious thing for us to leave that community and go somewhere else. Because it's not about us just getting a need met. We're not part of a church community and going, well, there's this church and that church and that one. Which one's going to meet my needs the best? It's that I'm part of this community so that, yes, my needs will get met, but I'm also here to love and help meet the needs of others. I'm to love the people around me the way I love myself. Unfortunately, the way we've designed church community for quite a long time is really about consumerism. It's more reflective of the world than it is reflective of scripture. And so it's about consuming a product. And we go on a Sunday morning and it's like, how good is the preach? How good is the worship? Are my needs getting met? Are my kids' needs getting met? Okay, good, I've come on a Sunday and now, now that's great. That's, that's not church, it never was meant to be. We see what's described here is this community that was in each other's lives daily. They were with one another, loving one another, participating in each other's lives. So let's keep looking. As we already described, 3,000 people on this first day gave their life to Christ through what you know, God did in pouring out his Holy Spirit and then what Peter stood up and spoke to them about, about Jesus. And, and this is really important because when there's covenantal community, the church grows you know, and the, God moves and works through it. You know, and then let's look at what this community of people in covenant together, they started to do. There's four things that it describes they did. It says that one, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And when they say devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, what this meant, they devoted themselves to the gospel. The, uh, the apostles had been given a command by Jesus. If you remember, it's in Matthew 28, uh, verse 18 to 20 where he's like, go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded, with, commanded you. So the apostles were teaching them what, about who Jesus was, what he did, using the scriptures they had at the time, which was the Old Testament, and how they pointed towards Jesus, and sharing the stories and testimonies of who Jesus is, what he did, and teaching these people to obey everything that Jesus commanded. That was what they were devoting themselves to. They were devoting themselves to not only understanding the gospel, but living it out to, be, to become more and more like Jesus. 
And then it also says the second thing that they devoted themselves to was that they devoted themselves to one another, to loving one another, to being in each other's lives. And this was so important because it says we just see fellowship. And, you know, we can, again, just use these Christianese terms like, oh, yeah, fellowship. I hang out with people for 20 minutes after church or for half an hour for a coffee or I'm in a life group. You know, there's my fellowship. But that's just that's the real basics of fellowship. And that's often fellowship around a program. But they weren't fellowshipping around a program. They were in each other's lives. They were in each other's homes. They were connected with one another. You know, it says it said they were gathering in the temple courts, but they were also meeting each other's homes. They were having meals together. They were doing the very thing Jesus showed his disciples to do in celebrating the Lord's Supper. It wasn't that they came to church on a Sunday and they had a little wafer, or a circle of bread, or a little wafer, a little broken bread, and a little sip of juice. They had a meal together, and that was the Lord's Supper. And they were not doing that just on a Sunday when they came to church. They were doing that from house to house. They were doing that when they would gather together in remembrance of Jesus, which is they were doing in each other's homes, not as a ceremony, but as a way of life. And then it says that they were breaking bread. They were devoted to breaking bread, to having meals together and celebrating the Lord's Supper, which I just talked about. And last thing, they were devoted to prayer, which was a relationship with God. And now we can read this and it doesn't say it this way. It doesn't say they were devoted to prayer meetings. They were devoted to prayer that they, they devoted themselves to having a relationship with God where they developed intimacy, where they talked to God, they requested things from God, and they listened to God. They heard from God. Because we see that throughout the book of Acts. We see it recorded, literally, where you know the, uh, the apostles or others are in prayer and God speaks to them or gives them a vision. It was a two-way conversation. They'd be talking to God. God would be talking to them. But it wasn't that they just, so we, we see, right? They're studying, they're under studying the word in, in that they had, again, only the Old Testament in terms of the written word, but then the verbal word that was been trusted to the apostles and eventually was written down. They, were, they devoted themselves to that, to what Jesus has taught and to what he commanded. They've devoted themselves to one another. They've devoted themselves to being in each other's lives and each other's homes. And they've devoted themselves to their relationship with God and that intimacy through prayer. And so these are, essential aspects of covenantal community. And then let's see what happened as a result of them devoting themselves to these four things. The first thing, it says that the people were in awe and reverent fear or respect for God, that they were in awe. It wasn't, depending on the translation and the way they worded it, it sounds like they were in awe of the miraculous signs, which I'm sure they were. But in actual fact, when you read it, it's they were in awe. You know, there's, and there's this reverent fear and awe of God that they had that wasn't just limited to the miracles, that they were developing this incredible relationship with God where they understood God as Father. They understood what reverent fear of God was, what respect for God was, of going, God is awesome, he's so powerful, and I want to walk in righteousness and holiness with him. I'm not just going, oh God, thank you for your grace, but it's like, oh, your grace is empowering me to live righteously and holy. In, in, in a holy way. And we see the importance of this, you know, which I'll get to in, in a minute. You know, the, they were so in awe of what God was doing and the, the signs and wonders and miracles that they were not afraid to sell property and possessions to give to anyone that had need, you know, which is incredible. But it's again, following the teachings of Jesus. He talks about the pearl of great price. You know, that once we find a kingdom, you know, understand the kingdom, that we'd be willing to sell anything to live in that kingdom. They understood that what they were living in is a kingdom now. It wasn't they were waiting to go to heaven and then they'd be living in the kingdom. That they were forming a, on earth, a community that reflected the reality of heaven. 
Their covenantal relationships with one another were not meant to just be an add-on from the world, but they were to reflect what heaven would be like. And so they were willing to sell everything because like, hey, I want to live in the reality of this kingdom. I'm willing to sell different things. And again, like Jesus, it wasn't, this isn't a thing of, hey, people meant to sell everything because it doesn't say that. It said they sold property and possessions to give to anyone that had need. So it doesn't say, say they sold everything, though some may have. It's that they were willing to give up things that they owned so that others' needs were met. It also says that they daily met together both in the temple courts and from home to home. Now, temple courts here would have been the outer courts of the temple. This wouldn't have been the inner courts of the temple. But they, this would have been the only gathering place for them in Jerusalem. And so this would have been the main gathering place. And so there they were, gathering and talking and learning. This is where they would have had the opportunity in a group to learn together. But let's remember that the temple courts were a meeting place. So it wasn't, you know, their people could have been, it wasn't that they all were coming for one giant group meeting all the time, but they, they were constantly coming. We don't know if it was all day long, different people coming in and drifting at different times. We just know they were committed to meeting together and to learning. But we also see that they met in each other's homes. And it says that they daily met in each other's homes. So what an incredible thing about that community. They just, they were completely devoted to one another, meeting together in the temple courts, going into one another's homes and just celebrating and going, wow, we are this amazing community of love. We're this covenantal community in relationship with God through Jesus. And we want to start living the reality of the kingdom right here, right now. In this covenant community, they praised God, it says, and that they enjoyed the favor of all people. So while not everyone joined them, people recognized there's something radically different about this community. Now, we know throughout history that they didn't always enjoy the favor of all people. Persecution came and people were very opposed to their message. But at this beginning, when things started and they were living in this covenantal community this way, they were enjoying the favor of all people. You know, and, and people were recognizing there's something different. And they were thanking God. They were praising God for what he was doing amongst them. And again, the last thing it says here, again, as they lived as this community, as they were doing these things, that God was adding to them daily those who were being saved. I believe that in this season, we have the opportunity, God's given us the opportunity to reset where Lifehouse is not about a Sunday meeting, but we're about being a covenantal community with one another. We may not be able to do big mass gatherings at this moment in time, but we certainly can be in each other's homes. We can in the summer be in each other's backyards, be in each other's lives, be connecting, going to the park with one another, finding creative ways that we can be this covenantal community with one another. So that when we come back to the place where we can be meeting in person again, that we have learned to build true covenant community. And it's really important here as well because if you're a part of Lifehouse, if you're watching this today, you haven't joined Lifehouse, you're maybe not part of a community this moment in time, but if you're part of Lifehouse, or thinking of joining Lifehouse, I urge you, you've got to be part of a life group. You need to be meeting in someone's house where you're building up and encouraging one another, developing that intimacy and that discipleship with other people. Again, the program of a life group doesn't replace covenantal community, but it's a great place to start. But we've, we've got to move away from a program mentality where we're based on different ministries, whether that be youth or young adults or men or women, to a covenantal community of people that are in relationship with one another, taking care of one another in each other's lives and are there for one another. And they're truly growing and maturing as disciples of Jesus. 
And if we will do this, if we'll look at the things that the, this early church devoted themselves to, and we'll devote ourselves to the same things, then that, covenant, that covenantal community, the covenantal community between us and God and us and each other, and the us and each other is so important, begins to play out. But I just, I want to encourage you and, and actually warn you that if you're someone that's going, oh, you know what, I'm fine, it's just me and, and my family, and, or if you're part of Lifehouse, but you don't have strong relationships here, I really want you to pray into that and start making adjustments and, and changes because you are not experiencing the reality of the kingdom of God. You're only experiencing a piece of it. And for us to be the community of God that we're meant to be, we've got to be a people that will begin to live this out. Will it be easy? No. It means us actually putting into practice, us having to put into practice the very things in Scripture that it says, where we've got to, you know, we've got to persevere with one another, we've got to hum be humble with one another, where we've got to, you know, forgive offenses and not take offense. We've got to be quick to forgive people and quick to put things right. We've got to deal with our own stuff so that our own sinful ways, so that we aren't offensive to other people. We've got to check our attitudes and and learn how to live from a place of love where we put the needs of others um, on par with ours, where we're, we're loving others the same as we love ourselves. And, and this is not easy. You know, it means that we do things like speak truth and love to one another, you know, where we are, are not afraid that if there's a word of correction needed that we share that, but that we, more than words of corrections, we're sharing words of love and encouragement, building each other up in the most amazing of ways. We're meant to reflect God's kingdom right here, right now, today. And we can do this. God's grace empowers us to do this. When we see each other through this covenant of grace that God has with us, when we go, God sees this brother or sister of mine as in Christ as absolutely valuable. He, they were worth dying for. He loves them and he's got a plan for them. And we say, hey, I see the people that way. Then it's gonna be so much better to interact. But for us to see other people that way, we've gotta understand that we've been totally forgiven. We are walking in this place of grace where God is giving us everything we need to change. We may be on a journey. We may still have some rough edges. We may have things we're working on. But even though we have those things, God is committed to us changing and growing and he loves us just the same. And it's the same for a brother and sister in Christ that will that may be acting in a, in a way that is unhelpful or offensive or that we just don't understand. But we can't say that we have no need of one another. And our need of one another is not just task-based. It's not that, well, I need this person to do me a favor or I need this person to serve me in ministry or I need this person to pray for me. It's that we need one another for relationships. We need one another for love. We can't truly reflect and God's nature, and we can't truly be who we're meant to be without those relationships. Can we love everybody in the community and be in deep relationship with everyone? Of course not. But we've got to have people within this community that we have different levels of relationship with, and that's a message for a different day. But all we've got to do is look at, at, at God and we see Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinitarian nature of God, and recognizing that this covenantal relationship and unity in relationship is literally designed into God and we've been made in his image. So we are made, meant to be living in the same level of closeness and the same level of unity with others as we're together in Jesus. And so I just want to encourage us. Actually, I want to finish off by praying for us today. Because God's doing something amazing with Lifehouse right now, and we don't want to miss this moment. 
We don't want to rush back to Sunday meetings at the expense of developing covenantal relationships. We don't want the counterfeit to replace what it's meant to be. You know, seeing each other on Sundays isn't going to cut it if we can't be in each other's lives throughout the week. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for, for each and every one of us. I thank you for what you're doing in this community in this time and how you're using this time of, of social distancing and this time where we can't meet together where the way we normally would to reset us as a church and to help us live in this place of covenantal relationship. Lord, I pray that we would that your message would, would come through me today and just break up maybe uh, ground in our hearts that needs to be broken, that you, the seeds of this truth would be able to be planted and grow. Water this truth in our lives, Lord. Just help us to grow in it. Help us to, to make whatever adjustments we need to make in our lives so that we will live in covenantal relationship with one another so that we truly can live in the fullness of the kingdom here on earth. As everyone, thank you. It's been amazing having you. And now we get an opportunity to practice this a little bit after the service in going into our Zoom rooms. And just again, a shout out to everyone at Jimmy DK and Delhi's life group that's meeting today. So glad you're connecting together. Live this covenantal relationship thing out so well. And for those of us that are not having people over in our homes at this moment, then I just pray that we would all join into the Zoom rooms or just ask you to join into the Zoom rooms after. If you're on Facebook or if you're watching us on YouTube right now live, you can click on the Zoom room link below and it'll take you to it. And if you are on our online platform, then you can click on the link that's gone up in the chat that is the, for the connection for the Zoom rooms. As well, if you are new here today, you know, what the Zoom rooms are is just an opportunity for us to be able to connect face to face. We break up into groups of two or three or four, depending on how many people there, just to get to know one another, chat to one another. It's just such a great time. Each time I get to chat to someone different when I'm in there and it's just, it's great to catch up and, and speak with people in that way. It's also, um, we, we want, if you're new, you send us your details. Fill out one of our connection cards. We want to pray for you. We want you to be able to get connected with us in a greater way, not just online. We want to be able to put you on our mailing list and more importantly, help connect you to a life group so that you can be starting to connect online or in person with people and, and just walking this out together. Okay, see you in the Zoom rooms. Have a great week.